Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Dementia Researcher podcast. My name is Dr Fiona McLean and I recently got to sit down in front of a wonderful crowd at the Scottish Alzheimer's Research UK ECR network meeting to hear the brilliant Dr Mike Daniels share his reflections on why some research grant applications are funded and why some are not. This is based on his behind the scenes preview of an Air UK grant review board. Here are the highlights from that lively presentation and the following Q&A. Hello, welcome to the next session of our ARUK Scotland Network meeting. Um, this is the ECR uh, special meeting and this is being recorded for the Dementia Research Podcast. So I'm going to use my best announcer voice and now we're going to hear from one of the friendliest, most helpful postdocs I've ever met. Um, he's been working on neuroinflammation and um, he's been in Edinburgh for a few years now and works at the UK Dementia Research Institute there. And it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Dr. Mike Daniels. So thank you very much, Fiona. You read my introduction very, very well that I wrote for you. Um, right, so thank you very much for staying all the way to the end of this day, everyone. Um, and what I'm going to close us off with is a bit of a talk about grants. Um, it's gonna be anchored around the Alzheimer's Research UK Grant Review Board and the ability and uh, that they allow early career researchers to observe that and my experience observing that uh, earlier this year. Uh, but I'm gonna talk also about kind of grants in general and some of my experience with things like uh, small grants that ECRs can apply for. Um, so as I said, uh, I'm going to start off uh, and just introduce the AAUK Grant Review Board, how it works uh, and, and the kind of process that they go through. Because I actually think that was arguably one of the most informative things about being able to observe it. Uh, I'm then going to talk specifically uh, about the good grants and the bad grants that maybe went through uh, that, at least the ones that I saw. What was good about them, what was bad about them and therefore what we can do when we write grants to keep an eye and make sure they're on the good side. Uh, and then I, I guess I'll try and like summarize all of that and give a kind of list of top tips of things to think about when writing these grants, uh, both from the aspect of what I saw at the grant review board and also just throwing in uh, my two cents as if I haven't done that enough already today. Uh, and then finally uh, wrap up with some useful resources that I found really handy and this sort of thing um, for you to all keep an eye on. Okay, so this is um, a list of many of the grants Alzheimer's Research UK will fund. This is pulled straight from their website. And as you can see, there are a plethora of different grants that you can apply for through Alzheimer's Research UK. They will assess these grants through a grant review board, and I'll talk a little bit uh, in more detail about that process later. Uh, but they allow some ECRs to come and observe that grant review board and the set of grants that I observed uh, were these, the pilot project grants. So these are small grants, well, small in ARK project grant terms because they're limited at around £50,000 uh, and they're usually only for a year or so and the idea is to generate or build on very small amounts of pilot data that will then go forward into major project grants or fellowships. 
Okay, so in a nutshell, what is the ARUK Grant Review Board? Um, and they technically don't allow this, um, but I was fortunate enough to get a sneak picture of what happens live in the ARUK Grant Review Board. And essentially what happens is the big professors around ARUK or the big professors, the academic professors are invited by ARUK uh, and they come and they judge the good grants from the bad grants. So this is Professor Selena Ray, and what she's doing right here is judging the good Hugh Grants, uh, for example, Hugh Grant from Love Actually, uh, versus the bad Hugh Grants, for example, Hugh Grant's arguably Oscar-winning performance in Paddington 2. <laughs> and, and they need to find a way to assess these good grants from the bad grants. Uh, and this is the process of applying for the AUK Grant Review Board. Uh, and this kind of depends a little bit on the type of grant that you apply for. Uh, but essentially, uh, there's a process on submitting application, triage process, things will go out for review. Uh, and eventually, you meet this panel meeting where there's an in-depth discussion of the application, reviewers' comments, and a rebuttal by the Grant Review Board. And fortunately, they allow some early career researchers like us just here to come and observe this part of the session. And it's extremely informative. So who's in the AIUK Grant Review Board meeting? Uh, 40 people in a Zoom meeting, uh, which I thought was quite a lot, uh, to try and get opinions from so many people. Uh, but actually, uh, there's only a very well, or smaller amount of people that are really, really actively participating in this. Um, you have one chair. So in the case of the one that I was observing, that chair was Professor Katie London. Uh, and she manages the whole meeting. There were 20 uh, experts in dementia research from universities across the UK, and these are the Grant Review Board panel members, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more later about their role specifically in reviewing these grants. And as I said before, there are four ECR observers uh, who are frantically scribbling notes um, to try and work out what's going on, uh, and it's for anyone that's already been there, and I think some people already have, Fiona has seen one, I think Soraya was in the same one as me, and there may be a few other of you here. Um, it's all pretty fast paced um, to, to keep a track of. Uh, and the other thing to mention is there's actually an enormous number of ARUK staff also in that meeting, uh, having jobs, again, things I'll talk about later, making sure the right people are reviewing the right things, who's in, who's out, uh, and, and essentially taking notes of the whole thing. So here is the process of the Grant Review Board. Um, before the call, and this is from that diagram that I showed you earlier, the Grant Review Board members have been assigned, they've been pre-assigned as what's called designated panel members, or DPMs. Uh, and for me at least, I missed that acronym at first and had no idea what a DPM was uh, about half, until about halfway through when I finally worked out what that meant. And the job of these people is to read the grants that have come in in detail uh, and also read the, any rebuttals that have come through from the peer review or from the lay review, which also occurs in these grants. Um, and there's two of those per grant. And so in this review session, though, we went through, I think, 18 applications. So it's not necessarily that you only have to do one. There was overlap uh, of designated panel members. 
So the meeting, everyones, it's full of extremely busy academics, uh, and so we have to be very, very quick. So there were very short introductions where everyone just quickly turned on camera and microphone, said their name and who they were, and turned off. Uh, and then once we got through that, we were straight in, uh, and they just go through this application by application, and you get a really, really strict seven minutes per application, which, as you can imagine, it is not particularly long considering there's a chair and 20 scientific experts from around the UK basically throwing in their opinions on how the grant was written, whether they think it will succeed, what are the bad points, what are the good points. And it's kind of funny to think that this is essentially having the kind of uh, defining moment in whether your grant gets funded. That's your seven-minute slot, um, which, yeah, is, is also a little bit scary, to be honest. Um, so, and before they actually start talking about any grants, uh, you immediately kick out any conflicts of interest. So people who come from the same institution as the one the grant came from, people who have declared a conflict of interest through things like collaborating with them uh, or any other reason. So once you've kicked out the, the COIs, um, your seven minutes starts, and it starts with the designating panel members for that grant, introducing the grant, uh, and basically giving their overall thoughts and opinions on it. The chair then, and so this is a lot of work for the chair who basically has reading all of these grants in quite a lot of detail and also all the rebuttals and all of the lay summaries and the rebuttals to the lay summaries. And the chair generally will add their thoughts from the grant and will kind of open it up to the rest of the panel. And that's when all the rest of the academics will chime in about what they thought or, or they, I don't think they were so good at this or I do think they were so good at this. Um, and it is really, really incredibly impressive how many people will have read in quite detail, um, as I said, like 20 grants, and that's just for that session that I went to. They will have read many, many more um, to then chime in and say, oh, I actually don't think they should be using that time point or something like that, which really shows how much they've read into it. Once they've done that, uh, the designated panel members give their indicative scores. So the way that this is scored is from one to five, uh, and one is good. Uh, and they also say whether that grant should be invited for resubmission or not. Uh, and once they've given those scores, uh, the rest of the panel then give their scores. Uh, and that's all anonymous and I don't know exactly what the final average scores of those grants were, which actually would have been quite interesting. And I also don't know which ones did and didn't get funded. Um, but that's the process. And then lather, rinse, repeat, grant after grant after grant after grant after grant. So it's, it's really a quite impressive effort. OK, so I don't know the final uh, scores. Uh, but I did, and I'm assuming I was allowed to do this, I guess we'll find out. I did take notes of the indicative scores uh, and thought I would plot them. And so something that's quite interesting is that the mean score of this is just under two. Um, so all the grants are getting pretty good scores. That's partially obviously because they've been triaged to get to this point. Uh, but generally speaking, these are, are pretty top-level grants. And from hearing about them and being fortunate enough to read the abstracts of the grants, which is what the ECRs do get given access to do, 
um, you get to learn a lot and they are very, very well written, very, very good grants. So the competition for things like this is extremely high. Um, there were a couple here that I didn't go to, I got kicked out of because they were either Edinburgh grants or grants submitted by people that I was co-authors with, so I was out for conflict of interest. Um, and so now I've kind of summarised the, the grant review board um, and how it all works, uh, and it's probably a good time now to start looking actually at those grants, what was good about them, what was bad about them. So. Um, we're going to kind of move that to the side and pick about things that were the good Hugh Grants. So, for example, Hugh Grant from Notting Hill uh, and the bad Hugh Grants. So this is uh, a grant, and I say good and bad, uh, this is grants with an average score of one and a grants with an average score of three. So they're still very, very close, but that's generally the, the edges of, of this. Um, and also a note is that look how close and how tight these are. There's only, I think there was only one where they were more than half a point apart, the two designated panel members. Um, so that's also kind of good to know that like, generally the good grants are agreed to be as good as everybody and the bad grants are agreed to be bad by everybody. Okay, so the good Hugh grants, uh, why do they get funded? So examples now of things that I picked out as kind of common features in these grants that were scored especially well, low, but especially good, basically. Uh, generally speaking, they also did the remit. Uh, and, and I'll probably add that when I talk about the bad grants, generally this is two ends of a scale, uh, and sometimes it makes more sense to talk about them as things done badly than things done well. Uh, but for example here, all the grants that scored really well really, really clearly suited the remit uh, of ARUK pilot projects. So they were genuine pilot work, reviewers would make comments, I say panel members would make comments like, this is clearly a step away from the work that the lab is mainly doing, and things like that. And on the converse, uh, there were grants that maybe didn't get such good scores, and I kind of didn't get such a good feeling from, uh, that were saying things like, I'm pretty sure this lab is doing this anyway. So. That's the first absolute key for that sort of thing. And that's an example of just suiting the remit because it tells you what pilot projects are for and just doing work that you're doing anyway isn't allowed in there. Uh, the really good grants uh, justified the tools uh, that they were using or the experiments that they did really, really nicely. And this is one of those things that's like, you just have to be really good, I guess, at getting all that information in quite a small space because I'm sure if we all wrote a grant and we had unlimited space, every time we said we were going to do anything, we would write a massive paragraph saying why we're going to use that specific mouse and why all these other mice are available, but we're not using those. And sometimes the issue is space, uh, but it's definitely a recurring theme and so something I think that should be prioritised in writing these sorts of grants. It's an easy way to fall down it is just failing to justify why you use, especially something like a mouse line when there are many options. Uh, the other thing that the good grants had and the things that reviewers were particularly happy to talk about was things like time evaluation. Uh, and again, that's something that gets picked up a lot. So for example, you would have um, the chair, Katie, who um, will be listening in on, on these and has read these in much detail, say, 
do you think that that's feasible to do that in that amount of time? Uh, and then one of the DPMs will say, yeah, I definitely think that because they've, they've shown, they've, they've stated how they're going to do it in that period of time. And that comes across really, really well. Uh, and something that I'll talk about again later in terms of like top tips and things. Uh, if you have space for something in these sorts of grants, whacking a Gantt chart in is great. Uh, the other thing that good grants had and the grants that seemed to be overall kind of really well taken on um, was really, really clear, straightforward aims. Uh, so as I said, there were 18 applications through. I got to watch 16. And I think in my notes, uh, about four or five of the ones that were kind of scored really highly, I have written down that the, the DPMs had said, yeah, really clear aims. That was what I really liked about that grant. Um, really a strong recurring theme in well-scoring grants is having clear aims. And again, I'll talk later, uh, but a strong recurring theme in the lower, worst scoring grants is people saying that it wasn't really clear what they were going to do or why, which obviously is not good. Um, another thing, and actually something I uh, hadn't really particularly thought about until I was there, is the grants that had done uh, the uh, authors of grants that had done really, really detailed and well-written response to queries, especially queries from lay reviewers. Um, so there was an example of one grant uh, where they were planning on using, um, I think they were using some kind of device um, with people living with dementia, and there were some queries from the lay reviewers, which Alzheimer's Research UK is brilliant at because they make sure that they do that. Uh, and one thing that came across really, really well from the whole panel was the response to the lay reviewer queries. So don't just whack down a response that only lay reviewers, Alzheimer's Research UK, take that really, really seriously, and, and rightly so. Um, uh, and then one of the final things that was common with all the really, really good grants was not just good collaborators, but relevant collaborators. And again, if I look through my list of my notes on those 16 grants that I was able to observe and look at the kind of top four or five, one thing that came up over and over again was people basically having their bacon saved by having really, really good collaborators. So, for example, somebody would come in and say, oh, like, I'm not really sure about using that IPS line for this model. And then somebody else would come in and say, yeah, but if you look, they've got this person collaborating with them, and that person really knows their stuff on IPSs. So you can guarantee that they're going to use exactly the right model in exactly the right way. Um, and that happened a couple of times, genuinely people being like, eh, not so sure about this. Another person from the panel being like, no, no, look, I know that collaborator, and they are awesome. So they will definitely make sure that the work is done and done really well. Uh, so really, I would recommend in these sorts of things having collaborators. Just having collaborators generally makes these grants really, really more likely to be successful and make sure they're very good collaborators. Um, and finally, a bit of a note on, on good grants and particularly well-scoring grants. And something that, again, um, I think is, is kind of quite comforting is that there was one occasion especially where uh, they were looking and talking about the CV of the main applicant on a grant and one of the grant review panel members said, oh, they've been in science a long time, tw something like 20 years post-PhD. 
not sure they've got that many papers. I don't know how strong an applicant this is. Uh, and other members of the panel said, no, no, actually, I reckon they, they clearly do loads of teaching. They've clearly got a really high teaching load if you look into it in more detail. Uh, and that's why they're maybe not publishing so well. They're, they're just doing lots of teaching and they're really promoting science and doing good things in science community. Uh, and the panel were like, oh, yeah, they're absolutely right. And that got really good indicative scores. Um, so don't worry uh, about things like that. That is taken into account. The grant review uh, board members are really, really good and they read into that into real detail. Okay. The bad Hugh Grants, uh, for example, why don't grants get funded? As I said, this is going to be a bit of a kind of crossover from the good side, uh, but there's some stuff that's a bit different in here. Um, another common theme that came up in this it is either not including talking about how you're going to do or not accounting for expertise or time in bioinformatics. Uh, a couple of times people said they were going to do RNA-seq, single-cell RNA-seq, and just said they were going to do it. Uh, and basically, there was no details on who was going to do the bioinformatics or how they were going to go about doing it, what kind of pipeline they were going to use. Uh, and a couple of those grants had quite poor indicative scores, uh, I think, as a result of that. So can't be lazy on things like that. Again, it seems like one of those things that you've probably got a really small space limit. Uh, and so having to include those sorts of things could be quite hard. Uh, but it will definitely be picked up in grant review boards. Uh, another thing that comes up in this, and I guess was a bit of a surprise it, for me, is that people would sometimes almost have too much data. Um, and basically what the overall opinion from the panel was is that this isn't a pilot grant. And this kind of come back to, comes back to suiting the remit on this. They said this actually is a major grant. Like there's too much in this. And I think maybe they suspected that the applicants had kind of tried to say, oh, look, we've not got that much chance of a major grant, but we've got so much, we'll definitely get a pilot grant. Um, and, and they're wise to that because the whole remit of these pilot grants is as pilot grants. It's not for stripped down major grants where you've basically already generated all the data already and you just want 50K. Um, so that, again, coming back to suiting the remit. I mean, I don't know how many times people are going to come up uh, in front and do these sorts of things and talk about power calculations. But for the love of God, <laughs> include power calculations. Um, it is genuinely amazing, I think, that, that like at this stage, there were still multiple grants that were either not including power calculations or were basically just kind of fudging power calculations and saying, we're going to do an N of three because that's enough. Um, it will every single time get picked up. There's absolutely no way you'll get away with not including power calculations. And to be honest, I almost felt a little bit sorry for some because personally, I think that there are some cases where in very, very super pilot early stage stuff, I can see why you might not do a power calculation because you're just trying to kind of have a look and see whether there's a phenomenon or not. My personal recommendation would be do one anyway because it's just like reviewers control F power calculation. And then if it isn't there or if it's rubbish, you get a lower score. So just include power calculations in everything. Make space for it because it will be looked at. Um, every single grant 
there was either a comment about good power calculations or not so good power calculations. Uh, and I, I, it's just something that clearly the reviewers and the panel members are just going to look for in every single grant. Um, additionally, to not quite the same extent as power calculations, statistics, how you're going to do them, uh, and whether you've collected the suitable ethics um, for stuff that you're doing. Uh, it Really, really basic stuff. Uh, and as I said, in a way, I can kind of imagine how it might slip the net when you're trying to get all of this amazing idea of your, your great grant and the science you're going to do, and you maybe don't quite have the space to properly talk about the ethics uh, that you probably have ethical approval for, but you don't include it. Um, but it will absolutely get picked up. Uh, as I said previously, uh, in the same way that good grants had really good, clear aims, good structure, uh, one of the things I wrote from those grants, one of those grants that got quite poor score, uh, I wrote notes on saying that generally the panel members thought it was quite poorly structured. And again, similar to the good grants, they had a lack of justification of their models and their methods. It's another thing that people are just going to look for. Say you use a mouse, you have to say something about why that mouse or that model. Uh, again, things like ethics, not taking into account patient welfare. One of those grants that scored particularly badly on the indicative scores, uh, the reviewer panel members were worried because they hadn't included details on how they were going to basically look after the patients that were in that study. And another thing that got marked down was that they were worried that the authors didn't have the right access to, to the tissue that said they were going to use. Uh, and then finally, uh, inaccurate costing came up as well. Similar to the costing or the accounting for bioinformatics, it's something else that will be looked at. Okay. Just going to sum up um, with kind of overall impressions of what I learned and throwing in some of my two cents about all of this sort of thing, uh, kind of with my own experience from writing quite a lot now of small grants. I have a lot, if anyone knows me, I have a lot of ideas, which means I write a lot of grants uh, and also a lot that don't get funded. Um, and whether I actually do the experiments or not uh, to any great quality is, is probably an issue that I have to work on. I kind of wish I hadn't recorded that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I do now actually have quite a reasonable amount of experience uh, with these sorts of small grants, and I think I've learned quite a lot. OK, number one, check that you're eligible. Absolutely 100% check that you're eligible. Very, very little effort goes into checking that you're eligible. And something I'll come on to later, email them. So easy. Write an email. It feels like there's this wall between you and the funding body, and that absolutely isn't. Uh, it is way easier than you might suspect to just drop them an email and be like, hi, even here's my CV, or at the very least, I'm a postdoc in this lab. Uh, I finished my PhD in this year. I'm interested in this grant that you're doing. Am I eligible? They'll just write yes or no. Get that done. Otherwise, complete waste of time. Strategy. Does not matter how good your research idea is. There are some things that you just have to nail when it comes to thinking about the strategy about writing grants. Things like, and, and what you need to do is find the call, the funding call, or what the funding body are looking to, to give money to, the sorts of people they're looking to give money to, and then basically just pluck from that and say how you're going to do it. So for example, um, there will be people, ALUK, I think, say that they look for people that are going to uh, contribute to the dementia community. 
copy and paste, this will contribute to the dementia community. Like, make it really, really easy to be like, oh yeah, you nailed that. Uh, collaborations, loads and loads of grants, uh, and this is becoming particularly common, really, really look for collaborations. Somebody in our lab quite recently uh, submitted a grant that got really, really good scores but didn't get funded because they said, oh, we were really looking for a collaboration. And all they needed to do, that person in our lab, was just email somebody in another university and be like, can you even like, send me a bit of tissue that I'll stain? Very, very small things that will improve the grant massively. Would highly recommend try and get some sorts of collaboration in there. Match funding. I've done really, really well out of match funding things. And you can do it in ways that you might not suspect. So for example, we got some match funding on something because an MSc student I was going to co-supervise on a project and MSc students come with some money. That counts as match funding. Match funding, funding bodies absolutely love match funding because basically they get more bang for their buck. They put two grand into something and they get three grand's worth of research out of it and they basically still get the same amount of credit they would have had before. If you can find any way to suggest that you're match funding this, I would highly recommend adding that in. And something, again, I've added earlier, just map onto the criteria of the grant. Look at the grant, copy and paste the keywords, and then make it really, really obvious how you've hit each thing on the nail. Uh, yeah, already mentioned, just put power calculations in. Find a way to put them in. It doesn't take that long. They will control F for power calculations in almost any grant now. Uh, you can only lose. Um, have some contingencies. Does anyone know who this is? It's plan B. Oh. Come on. <laughs> this is uh, English rapper plan B. Um, okay, maybe a slightly better version of that. Uh, more, more contemporary uh, a newspaper headline about the COVID plan B, which we may or may not be in. Um, another thing that generally grants are just control effing for, like put in a sentence about if this doesn't work, I'm going to do this some kind of contingency, something to show that you've thought about it really, really easy. Uh, timelines, I mentioned Gantt charts earlier. I didn't actually know if everybody knew what I was talking about with a Gantt chart. Here is a Gantt chart, so months along the top, each of your aims or sub-aims. This is one of my um, Gantt charts from a grant. Got funded, so it's good. Um, and it's so, like, it's so simple, laughably simple to put these sorts of things together. Um, Definitely worth doing. I emailed, again, example, and I think I talk about it a little bit later. I emailed the funding body uh, for this grant, and I said, basically, this grant was for 12 months, but they were willing to extend if you were doing chronic models with dementia research. There are a lot of chronic models. I basically emailed to clarify that. Again, eligibility. I'm not going to spend a lot of time writing a grant and then find that I'm going over the time limit and it goes straight in the bin. I emailed to clarify. Uh, and they said, yeah, we love Gantt charts. We love Gantt charts. Put a Gantt chart in. Really, really easy. Makes it really, really clear that you've thought about how this fits into your schedule. Um, but finally, and kind of unfortunately, uh, there's obviously a lot of chance in this. Um, and I would say one of the things to go back to the AIUK Grant Review Board is that uh, there just has to be chance that they are fantastic and they spent a massive amount of time reading these grants in great detail, but 
there was an element to which I felt that some of them were more harsh than others, and I didn't necessarily think that was because of the grant, uh, which is inevitable. It's definitely going to happen. Uh, I can imagine a time when somebody had resubmitted exactly the same grant. They might have got two different DPMs, uh, and they might have got better feedback or better indicative scores. Uh, so there's obviously just an element to that. Uh, and I suppose something that comes down to that is not feeling too bad uh, about when you don't get something. And I guess a personal experience of that is I got to watch this grant review board this year. I didn't get to watch it the year before because I applied and they rejected my application. And Fiona went instead. <laughs> Mike, Mike points at Fiona aggressively. Okay. Finishing further reading, useful resources. Uh, there are loads of these sorts of early career researcher frameworks. This is ARUK's one. This is the sort of thing that they will say, if you are this career stage, you are eligible for this fellowship application. And then they have a whole table of things that you should be able to do in order to hit this and just quote them. Like they will say things like, should be um, contributing to the dementia research community as a whole write in your application, this contributes to the dementia research community as a whole by X, Y, Z. Uh, there's also a very similar version of this on the UKRI website. Um, so we definitely recommend going to that. They also have a, a list where they summarize uh, different funding body grants. Um, so you don't have to go to each one, ARUK, and then welcome, you can have them all summarized. A better way of summarizing those is this website. Is anyone aware of Research Professional? Research professional you have to subscribe to, or your university has to subscribe to, uh, but both the previous universities I've been in have both subscribed to it. Uh, so I suggest that you at least check out whether they do. This is just a massive, massive summary of all the different grants, global grants that are available. And it also includes things like prizes, uh, which I would 100%, just as a career-based talk, recommend trying to get onto things like prizes. Uh, makes your CV look great, you get money, uh, you lose very little from those sorts of things, uh, all summarized in Research Professional. Obviously, I have to mention Dementia Researcher, the fantastic podcast and platform uh, which you're tuning into right now. Uh, that is brilliant. And also, as Adam has just shown, has a summary of grants available. Uh, and check your emails, uh, which Susan will come on to later with what you should expect soon from Susan. Uh, a lot of grants just come in, in the emails, and if you're anything like me, you can miss them. Uh, and things like Twitter can be really useful. Uh, and really quickly, just another example, I put a post on the Future PI Slack channel, because I thought if anyone's going to know about where good grants are, it's the Future PI Slack channel, to say, did anyone have any useful resources? Uh, and this came up. This is obviously American. It's run by John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University. Still can't say that. Uh, and it is an enormous Excel spreadsheet of about 500 different types of grants offered by different funding bodies and societies. And you can do useful things like filter it for uh, the different disciplines and the amount of money and their eligibility and things like that. Uh, there's an element, again, about luck. And so therefore, the more that you can find, the overall more that you're going to increase your odds of getting something. And that is me done for this talk. Uh, and we have a little bit of time, I guess, for a few questions, if anyone has any. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Issa, is there something you wanted to ask? Thank you. 
how um, review committee sees, for example, that you, you change a little bit the field, not like completely from neuroscience to cancer, but for example, to dementia to another neurodegenerative disease or from a cell type to another, you know, they, because I guess that they may think that you are not an expert in this field, so they are not going to fund you? Fund you? Uh, generally, it comes across better to do that than the other way around. So uh, examples of people that they thought were kind of just staying in the same field and doing the same thing that the lab were doing um, that didn't go down that well. And you, you're moving is good. The only thing that I would say to be really careful with to come back to the collaboration thing is if it's like a changing field thing that maybe you don't have so much experience in, make sure that you have a collaboration as part of that application with someone that does have experience. Because as I said, that came up time and time again, them being like, oh, don't worry, they're collaborating with this person and they're an expert. And I think as an ECR, I think what's maybe more important is that you have the technical skills. So for example, if you have the technical ability to carry out experiments, um, but maybe you've done it in a slightly different topic or a different neurodegenerative disease. Um, if you have a collaborator that you know works in Alzheimer's and say you've been working in Huntington's, the switch is going to be really easy in some ways, because if you've got that collaborator to cover the topic, you can you know walk into that project with all the technical abilities to interrogate your questions. So I think Mike's right. I think as long as you've got a collaborator, you know, and it's working in the scope of what you have already done in terms of techniques, I think that actually would be a really strong application. Any other questions? Uh, sorry, I'll try and keep this as short as possible. No. Um, so uh, when you go and sit in on these grant review meetings, do you think there's like hot topics that the grant review people go for, or is it just broad across the spectrum, like anything gets funded? Uh, I wouldn't say in the one that I was in specifically, the felt like there were any, you mean hot, like research areas, yeah, you like mean? Yeah, research areas that are- In the one that I was in specifically, it wasn't noticeable. I think that that probably is the case, though. I think there is, I mean, for example, there was a, there was a single cell study in there that went down very well, but it wasn't like there were loads of them and they were all getting really, really good funding or anything. Um, I definitely think that it's the case. I think that's just the case in research though, is that there are there are hot topics that you kind of have to keep an eye on and, and tr try and crest the wave as such of, uh, but it wasn't noticeable that day. I think, it, I think it's important to note that the ARUK Grant Review Board is purposely balanced. The, you know, if someone, um, retires from the board they look you know to fill the area not just you know it's not like they have a bunch of people just working in humans or preclinical like it, it tends to be balanced you know so that you don't just get people funding the same sort of things over and over but I think Mike's right like there is always cycles of hot topics in science um, and things that are maybe had good press coverage recently and um, I think that can maybe influence a little bit but I think it's more in the writing of the grant and the person so what would be your sort of um, take home message from your experience? Like, what did you take away from it? You know, are you going to change any of the things that you're doing in your applications? Are you going to go for different types of applications? What do you think? Interestingly, I'd kind of written off uh, a lot of those grants because uh, I didn't think this is quite niche to the AOUK pilot project grants. I didn't think you would necessarily get away with having so much salary costing. Uh, but a number of those grants had often 100% salary. Uh, so 50K all for salary. And they basically said they were going to fund the consumables elsewhere. And 
that uh, wasn't necessarily seen badly at all. Like it was quite well reviewed. Uh, and I just hadn't thought that that was something that was an option. Um, so for anyone that's kind of maybe coming to an end of a PhD or a postdoc, the AOUK pilot project actually is an option for you to potentially write a grant that might get you kind of a, a year and a half or something worth of um, worth of postdoc if you can then, as long as you can justify that you can do the consumables and do the experiments externally to that grant. But I wouldn't have thought that could be a thing and that came up a lot. That's probably the most surprising thing. If there's no more questions at the moment, um, I've just got a couple of uh, closing statements. So, before we end, um, I wanted to just say that we know Alzheimer's Research UK will be launching their new ECR strategy in January um, 2022. So keep an eye out for that. And of course, the Dementia Researcher web website does its best to try and collate and share all grants and funding calls that might be of use. So definitely check it out at dementiaresearch.nihr.ac.uk. And uh, thank you all so much for coming today. And please show your appreciation to Mike for sharing his experience today. you enjoyed the presentation as much as I did and if that was helpful do remember that the Dementia Researcher has over 1500 pages of articles, blogs and supportive content and includes much more on grant writing. A link is available in the program notes with this episode and please do remember to rate, review and recommend the show to anyone you think would find it helpful. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. <laughs>